Welcome back to the Lost in Transit podcast. I'm your host, Spud. So this week on the show, I have kind of an old interview. It's from like October or November of last year. Um, the guest on the show is my friend Dan Lipsky. Dan is a tour manager friend from work who also likes to Dan is a tour manager friend from work, and he also is an avid cyclist. Um, about a month after this podcast was recorded, Dan was in Thailand and was struck by a bus. Dan is now well on the way to recovery, but it's still kind of hard to listen to. Anyways, I hope, yeah, I hope you enjoy it. What's up, travelers? I'd like to welcome Dan Lipsky to the podcast. Dan is a bike enthusiast, and he likes his coffee. What's up, Dan? Hi. 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 So. All that's true. All of it is true. I'm sure there's a whole lot more. You, I mean, that's the most important pieces right there. Coffee and bikes. There's really nothing else you need to know. And travel. Travel's um, good. Obviously. That's all good. Um, so when, when did you start realizing that you wanted to travel? I kind of always knew ever since I was a kid and uh, that I, I feel like I grew up in this like really sheltered environment where I have, God bless some really square parents. And, like, when we went on vacations when I was a kid, it was, like, to, you know, like, Atlanta, Georgia to go see the CNN building. Or we'd go to Myrtle Myrtle Beach every year and, like, stay in the same place. Like, it was really, I had a childhood built on, I guess, redundancy and very predictable, you know, scenarios that, I mean, very typical, predictable things. And, uh, yeah, I always felt very different than that. And um, I knew that, I knew that when I was 18... I wasn't going to college because I didn't know what I would go to college for. So I decided I was either going to go travel or I was going to move to California and live on the beach. And I, I chose the latter. I went to California for a couple of years. I packed up my car and I moved out there. And I think that, I mean, that original first kind of push, even though I didn't go on like any long distance traveling, but just leaving that comfort zone and being like, all right, I don't have, you know, this comfort of my folks or everything that I knew. And being 18 and being able to just pack up and go and try something new, it really instilled this, I don't, it sounds cheesy to say like a sense of adventure, but I definitely felt like it was pushing me towards that path. Sure. And just not knowing, of not knowing. And I think if you love traveling, you have to really embrace, I don't know what's going to happen. Expect the unexpected. Expect the unexpected. Exactly. Our fucking coffee topic. Um, Yeah, that's, that's incredible. Where did you grow up? I grew up all over the place. I was born in northern Illinois, uh, actually in a small town in Wisconsin called Beloit. And then uh, fellow Midwesterner, you yep. know where that is. Dude, and then I lived in North Carolina for 11 years from 4 to 15. Then from 15 to 18, the suburbs of Chicago. And then 18 to 20, I was in California. Then okay. I went back to Chicago when I was 20. The city uh-huh. proper. And then when did you take your first international trip? First international trip was when I was like, I think I was 20. Okay. And dude, I did this thing called birthright because I'm Jewish. And if I'm sure some people know what it is. Uh, and it's basically if you are Jewish from the ages of 18 to 26, you get a free trip to Israel for uh, I think it's 10 days or two weeks, something like that. And it really is free. Everything's free. They put you in the hotels. All of it's free. All the food's paid for. Everything is paid for. It's crazy. So I did that when I was 20. I went to Israel, and that was my first time traveling internationally. And it was very impactful, as you can imagine, when you're 20 years old. Absolutely. And uh, whatever, not to get all political or anything, but there's, in for my trip at least, and I've heard this from other people, there's a lot of brainwashing that goes on in that trip. And uh, it was, I mean, obviously, for various reasons, it was very impactful for me. And uh, yeah, I mean, I thought, you know, after that, I was like, you know, immediately felt very cultured and... <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, yeah, 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 yeah culture And like, oh, I've seen the Middle East now and I, I have a very good grasp on what's happening out there and all that stuff. But that was the first 
that was the first step for have, sure. Have you been back since? I have, yeah. I went back um, three or four years ago. So it was almost, I'm 32 now. It was almost a ten, nine or 10 year gap. Did you did you notice a difference or did you feel different about it? I felt different about it. I'm not sure how much of a difference I noticed. Yeah, okay. I went, this time I went back and went with a couple friends of mine, very good friends of mine who they hadn't been yet. And um, I just remember the second time I went back thinking the quality of everything is very high which I think it is. Um, and it's a very beautiful, clean country. I, I, I remember that about it. For yeah, sure. totally very uh, efficient. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of what I remember there. It's just being with my friends there and it's, not, it's different. not having an agenda. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a big deal, especially on totally. trips of your own. Um, so at what point in time did you like, so you and Danny took this trip to Egypt. Yep. My, How long my, ago was that? Uh, it was right before we were in Israel, actually. So it was right before Israel. We went, we met up in, uh, so it was my friend Danny, Danny Hutto, and Brian Yablonski. We collectively met in Cairo. Okay. And we did like a week in and around Cairo and like Alexandria, and we went to the Sinai Peninsula a little bit. And uh, we were there for like a week or so, like I said, and then we went to Israel for like, not enough, probably like four or five days. Oh, God. Yeah. With, uh, with Israel, I mean, there's... You hear about all these weird attacks and nonsense. It's, I mean, maybe not anymore. Maybe it's worse now. Mm. I don't really know. I try to stay off the news. Sure. Um, did you feel safe? Yes. The whole time you were there? Definitely. Um, and I remember him talking about you guys staying in a Bedouin camp or something. That was in Egypt. Yeah, okay. That was in Egypt. And, you know, we we were in Egypt at a really peculiar time because it was right after the coup. And it was before CC uh, uh, at this point. He was in control. He was basically the president, but he hadn't been, you know, the fake the fake election they had. He yeah. hadn't been elected yet. Gotcha. But he had deposed the Muslim Brotherhood, and uh, yeah, I mean, when we were there, there was terrorism. I mean, we we woke up one day, and it was probably about like probably seven in the morning or so, and there had been a bombing, maybe half a mile or a mile from where we were staying. And I mean, I remember waking up and the whole building was shaking and it was, we, we, you heard it go off and like, that was a bomb. You don't have to wonder what it is. Yeah, you know it wasn't I mean? like, I wonder if that was. Totally, totally. And, um, you know, it, it's a, it's a, it was a hard time then for the country and it's even harder now. Um, but I will say this, even then, I would not say that I felt unsafe in Egypt. Okay. As some, and I mean, I, I felt like Egyptians were very genuinely warm and welcoming and wanted us to feel safe there and welcome there. I kind of feel like that is the general consensus with pretty much everywhere, everywhere you go in the world. I agree with you. With with the, a handful of assholes. Couldn't agree with you more. And that's that's a big thing. Like, I wish more people understood that. Totally. And the only way to understand that, I think, is to go there and experience it yourself. Absolutely. 100%. Um Let's see. Okay, so we're like Egypt, Israel. You've been. Have you been anywhere else in the Middle East? Middle, did, Middle East. Yeah, you know, uh, did the UAE. That was just for work for a few days last year. I'm trying to think if I've been anywhere else. I don't think anywhere else in the Middle East. And unfortunately, cause actually, every time I go, I really love it there, and I feel. I don't want to say like a strong connection to it. But I just feel like there is something like very electric about the Middle East. There, yeah, totally, and you I get that. And like, I remember talking to you about Dubai like briefly last year before I went. After you had went, oh yeah, before and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I okay. kind of remember you saying stay away because it kind of feels soulless. And yeah, yeah. And, and I went and I loved it. Okay. And I think it might have been because I'd met some some solid people there, and I just kind of. I had no expectation. You know what I mean? Sure. So I just, I just went and like, yeah, I loved it. And I kind of left scratching my head going, what was he talking about? Uh. <laughs> and, but I, at the same time, I understand what you mean. Like it's solace. It's a fucking new city. Like they, yeah. they have money and it's no more than 80 years old or something. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I understood the solace part. Did you, did you end up going to Abu Dhabi? Did not go to the Abu Dhabi. No, did not go to Abu Dhabi. I took I took a cab down. Okay, I took a cab down. Sure, because it was forty dollars or some shit. Sure, uh, and I went to the mosque, like the big, huge mosque, and it was 
breathtaking. It was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I would like, if anybody goes to Dubai, I, I would, if you go back, I would advise you to go do that. That was incredible. Um, but that's really it. I guess I've been to Israel, but it was, it was on tour. Yep. And you see what they want you to see, basically. Yep, I agree. Yeah, it was kind of crazy. Um, okay, so let's chat about Vietnam. Because I'm curious about your biking. Yeah. Um, did you take your bike? Like, did you fly a bike there? I flew with my bike to Thailand. Okay. And um, that's where I started my, my bicycle tour, that particular bicycle tour. And uh, my buddy, my, I went with a friend of mine. Okay. His name is Matt. So Matt and I both flew into Chiang Mai. Yeah, okay. And uh, which is northern Thailand, and um, then we rode uh, east to Chiang Rai. Basically, it took a few days, and then we got to the border of um, Taiwan and Laos, and we took the slow boat down to Long Prabang. Got off in Long Prabang, and then rode across the uh, uh, part of part of Laos down to Vientiane, then across to Vietnam, crossed in the border and a very small border crossing in Vietnam. And then continued up the Ho Chi Minh Trail uh, until we reached Hanoi. And that's where we ended. How long were you gone? We were there for about two months. We did it. Yeah, we, we spent like a couple weeks. I'm, I mean, I love Thailand and I love Chiang Mai in particular. Yeah. So we spent a couple weeks in Chiang Mai before we got going. Oh, okay. So it, was like, it wasn't like off the plane going. No, no. I mean, like for, I, I had the luxury of a lot more time back then. Yeah, of course. And at that point, that was my... That was my second time. That was my second time going to Thailand. And I had already, at that point, knew that I loved Chiang Mai and knew that I wanted to spend some more time there. So I was very happy to spend a couple weeks there. And we did some riding around northern Thailand as well yeah. before we took off. But yeah, that, I mean, we ended in Vietnam um, and then flew with the bicycle. Actually, I took his bike when we flew out. So I left with two bicycles. Yeah, man. But uh, we, we left out of Hanoi and yeah, I flew back with the bikes. Um, on, so on this bike trip, did you have any, were there any like problems? You, sure. Any? Yeah. <laughs> tell me a little Tons bit of about problems. that. Tons it's, of problems. See, and that's what I like to hear. Yeah. I mean, n- nothing like life threatening or anything like that. I mean, as far as like, th- there are all kinds of problems, mechanical problems. Of I'll course. Give, I'll give you an example. I, for whatever reason, decided to buy this like very used rear wheel right before we left that I thought was going to be a great wheel and it turned out to break within the first two or three days. I mean, literally, like, the the spokes popping out of the rim. Oh, Lord. I mean, like, you, you can't ride on the wheel after much longer. And I remember, so we, we basically, we were able to make it the first few days um, on this, like, wheel that's falling apart underneath me and it's, like, hopping around and shit. And, um, dude, we made, we were able to make it to Vientiane mm-hmm. in Laos. And I'm talking, like, Laos is maybe the most beautiful country I've ever been to. Really? Amazing. It's Amazing. not even on my radar for some reason. It should be. It should be on everyone's fucking radar. Okay. For a variety of reasons, I'll tell you in a second. But stunning country, lovely people, um, very, like, I, I don't want to use this word condescendingly, but, like, very primitive in a lot of ways. And it's, it's a third world country. Sure. And, um, you know, they don't have certain luxuries that we're used to. Fortunately, I was in the, the capital, the biggest city, and they had a bike shop there. Okay. And uh, they didn't have a bike shop anywhere else. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I mean, none of these, none of these dudes spoke any English. So I was like going to like my guest house or whatever, and I was like translating things on my phone, and then going back. <laughs> you know okay. what I mean? Because I didn't yeah. like have there was no service there either. Sure. So I was doing this, and I mean, fortunately, I, I was one of the guys. I think he was the owner of the bike shop was pretty good at building wheels and he built me a new wheel um in like the same afternoon or whatever but i mean like all the spokes were like the wrong size and like even that wheel sort of falling apart by the end of the trip um but had i not met this guy i would have had I, yeah I just, your trip would have been over well it would have meant me having to build this wheel myself which i've done but it's man building wheels is like an art I, anyway it's kind of boring but like long story short that was a problem that we had. Okay. My buddy's bike, he had all kinds of mechanical failures too. His racks were like literally breaking apart. The welds were breaking apart. Oh. I mean, we had like all of our weight. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. what are you going to do? We're in the middle of the country. There's nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. There's nowhere to buy these new things. So, um, you know, it's like, it's like anything. You get there and it's like, wow, how am I going to fix this? And you just start looking around for the tools you have available. And I mean, we fixed his rack by using string and zip ties. You know what I mean? 
It was so incredible. Yeah, I mean, like, it kept breaking over and over again, but somehow we made it work, and it's fine. Um, there was a couple times we got separated, and, um, dude, there was one time we got separated right after a really long descent going down a mountain. Okay. And um, I thought that something terrible had happened to him because we had an agreement on where we were going to meet up mm -hmm. at the end of the mountain, at the bottom of the mountain, and he never showed up. And long story short, he ended up taking a turn off. And, um, but yeah, man, even that, I mean, like I rode back up the mountain to go look for him. It's like really long, steep mountain with like all my shit on my bike. It's brutal, man. And, uh, I ended up figuring out that he took the turn off and we met up the next day and it was fine, but it's scary, man. It's scary when stuff like that happens to you. There's one day I mistakenly took us down the wrong highway, which turned out to be not finished. Oh, Lord. And literally it just turned into, it turned into like, there were sections of it like paved and then it would turn into like a really rough dirt road and then it would turn into, I mean like three or four inches of loose sand. You can't, you can barely walk through it, oh. but on ride through it. And I just kept thinking, no, I feel like the road's going to pick back because you know, it's like, well, yeah. I made it this far. Absolutely. It's like when you commit to something, it, it's like when you buy something that you can't return. And you're like, well, maybe I can make it work. Mm -hmm. And then you never, like, it's just not the right thing. But you don't want to admit that, like, it's just a wash and you fucked up and, like, you wasted your money. Absolutely. It was the same, I mean, th theory behind it. And eventually it was, like, 5 o'clock in the evening. We, were, we had maybe, like, an hour of the sun left. We were almost out of water. We didn't have any food. We were in the middle of nowhere. I mean, like, the middle of nowhere. And we're like, well, I guess we better start looking for a ride. And fortunately, these guys came along in a truck and they spoke a little bit of English and they were very nice and picked us up and drove us to the next town. And it was amazing because after that, after they picked us up, we drove through all of the stuff that we had in front of us that we would have been going through oh, on yeah, bikes yeah. and walking through and riding through. And there is no way we would have made it. Oh, Lord. There is no way, man. There's no way. How, uh, how out of the way was that highway? Pretty out of the way. Yeah. Pretty brutal. Yeah, I mean, like, pretty big mistake on my end. I totally screwed up. Yeah. We all make mistakes, right? Can you believe I didn't know which the right highway to take in Laos, man? I fucked, I'd never been there. <laughs> Come on, man. This is I planning. I like, you said you'd done this before. No. Yeah. I don't plan for anything when I travel, so. Honestly, I'm usually pretty good with directions, and I'm usually pretty good at following the map and just looking at things and following elevation charts and all these things and, like, really skillfully planning out how we're going to do it. And plain and simple, I fucked up that day. Really bad. It's all right. Yeah, whatever. It's fine. We survived. It was all good. What's uh, what's one of your most memorable things from that trip? Well, funny enough, like um, a few days later, uh, actually the next day, we um, we met back up when yeah, when I when we, when we lost each other. Yeah. We met back up, and this this turnoff that he took was on the way to these caves that are like pretty famous in Laos. They're called the um, Kang, the Kangor, Kangor Caves. I'm embarrassed to say I forget the. I think it's the Kangor Caves. Okay. I forget the name off the top of my head. It was a few years ago, but um, man, I mean, just it's like seven kilometers of all in the middle of this mountain, um, and there's like a, a stream that goes through it. Obviously, it's pitch black, but um, dude, there's like a little lake, and you go, and it's it's totally a destination. There's no other reason you'd ever go to this place, but okay. you get there and there's all these guys and they're long in their long boats and you can rent flashlights and they will take you through the caves, all seven kilometers of it, and it is incredible. That sounds amazing. It's incredible, man. I mean, I've never seen anything like it or been there anything like that before. Um, and I mean, like, it's a place you I mean, getting to the just getting to the place where you go to pick the boat is a journey in itself and then getting onto the boat and going through it is incredible and i mean i'm sure you know tens of thousands of people at this point sure have done it yeah but it's not a very like you you have to really want to go do it to go do it otherwise you would never go to this place it's not along the way to anything you know what i mean it's, yeah it's you're going because you value seeing this incredible natural thing yeah and it's it is amazing um that was really incredible man a couple days after that we kept riding uh, further across Laos and then we finally reached the border of, uh, of Vietnam man but like the last few miles before um, before we got to Vietnam 
you know, in Laos, it's just like, oh, he's like really incredible. And just a huge um, limestone mountains that just pop out of the earth, basically. And there's trees growing up the side of them. And it's just like, wow, where am I right now? And um, do we like drop into this valley? And it's this one long, really stretch, uh, one long, really straight stretch, of like probably two or three miles. Okay. And we hit the craziest headwind, man. I mean, like in first gear, giving everything I got, going like, basically just trying not to fall over okay i mean we're just inching down the road and i mean th- this wind is crazy it was a beautiful day but i was just like god get, all right already i get it man you know what i mean like give me a break but dude up ahead you can see the road shifts and it starts to uh kind of twist and turn around a ridge so we finally get to that and little by little the wind kind of starts dying down and then within a couple miles of that all of a sudden the landscape is just like it changes and it turns to jungle, like really dense jungle. Yeah. That's so awesome. I mean, it's really amazing. It's one thing I'll say about cycle touring is you, it really helps you understand how borders are made and because you can feel it and you can see it, you can taste it in the air. And then all of a sudden you're like a couple miles from the border and it's jungle, Vietnamese jungle, really dense. And, um, dude, all of a sudden, then there it is. There's the border and we get there and, you know, it's us and like a hundred semi trucks all waiting to get across. We roll up on our bikes, these two weird looking white guys, and everyone's looking at us like, what are these guys doing here? And we get our, our passport stamped and we keep going. And right after that, we began this descent uh, down. I didn't know this, but we were at the top of a mountain at that point. Okay. And uh, we descended for like probably like eight miles. Oh, wow. Through like dense jungle going down the side the side of a mountain and i mean to this day one of the top two like best ascents i've ever done absolutely incredible stunning gorgeous amazing okay didn't know it was gonna happen sure and yeah so that was that was a very memorable that sounds incredible yeah man it was awesome that was the like hello welcome to vietnam i couldn't ask for a better welcome amazing yeah it was amazing that's awesome um what do you pack for a bike trip like that um, because I can't imagine that you've got a lot of stuff, right? <laughs> well, I guess not. Um, I would say probably you know like I've done I guess I guess four bike tours now. Okay. And little by little, it's changed what I what I take. The first bike tour I ever took, I mean, budget was a real issue for me. Okay. It was my first one was from Portland, Oregon to uh, Long Beach, California. Holy cow! It's thirteen hundred miles. I did a highway one. And I did it in about three weeks and I was cooking, man. So for that, I mean, just cause I didn't know any better, dude. I mean, I didn't even own like bike shorts. Mm-hmm. I was in jean shorts and I just had like my vans, you know, like authentics or whatever. Yeah. I didn't have clipless pedals or anything, man. And dude, I didn't have the right gearing. I was like going up the side of mountains and this crazy gearing that was like dying, but I did it, you know? And that was the, that was the really amazing part. I didn't have a choice. I had to, but, um, <laughs> dude, I would say now. You know, I really feel like it pays it, it pays to invest in your gear and get the best quality gear that you can afford. Yep. Um, so everything needs to be waterproof. And I mean, I, I, like I said, on four bike tours, I never had a waterproof tent or waterproof bags. You didn't have a waterproof tent? I didn't have a waterproof tent. And I'll tell you what, man, the last bike tour I did, I was in uh, Norway and Sweden and it rains a lot there. Yeah. I remember... Man, I remember I was, it, one, one really cool thing about uh, camping in Scandinavia, I forget what the rule's called, but anyone, if anyone who's Scandinavian, if they hear this, they'll know what I'm talking about. You can camp basically anywhere you want to camp for one night in Scandinavia, um, and no one can really say anything to you about it, as long as you're like not right up against someone's house mm-hmm. or bothering anyone or being obnoxious. There's a, there's, a, there's a rule, and I forget what funny word they have for it, but um, dude, so I just kind of post up wherever, and I remember one night, man, I was like in a small park somewhere in, in um, Sweden and uh, dude it started to rain and then it started to hail oh no and uh, I mean like I remember being like oh this is a problem that I don't have a waterproof tent so I had like a tarp that went over the tent so at least you had it wouldn't some be pissing rain on yeah. me but the tarp didn't go all the way over the tent <laughs> so like it was like leaking in the sides basically yeah, okay but in the water was freezing cold yeah, it's cold. It was hailing, you know, like it was ice water. And I was just like, you know what? 
next bike tour, I'm getting a new tent. So I have, since then, I got waterproof bags, and I have, I have um, a waterproof tent now. Um, I would say uh, one of those, God, what are they called? The, uh, I'm embarrassed to say, I forget the name. <laughs> the Jet Boils. Yeah, so Jet Boil is in clutch for any dude hiking. Or... Jet Boil. You can sponsor me. <laughs> you can I'll sponsor a lot of people. You can sponsor all of us, man. Jet Boil's clutch. Um, you can make... All kinds of crazy things in it. So so many. Yeah, man. That's that's um, crucial move. I would say a um, solar a solar USB charger. Yep. Is clutch. Um, do you take Do you take like dried food with you? Um, I'll take some Cliff Bars or whatever. Or... I I guess I asked that because of your veganism. Ve- I'm vegetarian. Is that what it is? I'm vegetarian. Yeah, you know I do that all the time. I would say um, it depends on where I'm going. Yeah. But, you know, anything you carry with you, that's just more weight to carry around. Yeah, of course. So if I can find whatever it is I need where I'm going, I, I avoid buying anything. On my first bike tour, I met this kid, and he was like, you know what, man? Everywhere you go, you need to bring a jar of peanut butter with you. Because, Fair. well, you know, it's one of those things, like, if you're really screwed and you don't have any food, and actually I encountered this where I wasn't able to find any food one night, he's like, you can eat a jar of peanut butter, and it's like 3,000 calories. Yeah. It's all the protein. It's every vitamin you need. Is like you probably don't want to eat a jar of peanut butter, but at least it's there if you need it. And uh, so I take that. I took that. That, that kind suggestion. Of, yeah. I bring something a little similar. Yeah. When yeah. I hike. Yeah. It's it's just nice. Like even just before bed, just a scoop of peanut butter is yep. good. Or I'll do that on tour after just, after show. I will for dude, sure. Dude, really simple things that are reliable that you know what you're gonna get from them. They don't take a lot of space. They don't yep. take a lot of weight. All those things are really clutch. I would say if you're into bike touring, you want to do bike touring, buy the best, nicest tires you can buy. Um, spend the dough on them. T- nice tires are, I'm, I'm a huge cheerleader for this. And uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, man, like the nicer the tires, the more resilient they are. Yeah. They pay for themselves down the line. Oh, I'm sure. Um, I didn't, I bought really nice tires right before I went to Asia. I didn't get a single flat. I went through two wheels. I broke two wheels, but I didn't get a single flat tire. And that's, and that's, I mean, nice. Yeah. Sure. Oh, it's amazing. I mean, changing flats sucks, and changing flats when you got a fully loaded bicycle is even is even lamer. Um, yeah, man. I mean, I would just, I, I would say for anyone that wants to do it, I, one nice thing about doing bicycle touring is you can do it any way you want. Yeah, of I course. Mean, the first time I did it, like I said, I wouldn't do this again at this point, but. At the time, this was the deal, like whatever, six years ago it was. I mean, I hardly had anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, you need a sleeping bag, a tent, um, <laughs> some yeah. tunes. Yeah. You don't, you don't need much. You need a bike. And that is that is one of the most amazing things about bike touring or um, doing really the, the kind of traveling we're talking about, very simple traveling, yeah. hiking, like long distance hiking or mm-hmm. anything like that. All you need is the essentials shoes enough to get through the day enough to get through the day man and everything else is life will take care of you and honestly what i've found is if there was ever a point where i i hit something uh i hit a point where um i was in trouble or like i needed something dude people want to help you people want to help you yeah yeah. that that was that's always been my experience is that people um especially if you're a hiker or a cyclist or you're just doing something really unique and kind of like to the beat of your own drum, people really love that, and they want to be part of the story. Absolutely, I, and they want help. Even just backpacking through, like Asia and India and stuff, I met people who wanted to. They always wanted to just kind of help along, yeah. No matter what was going on, yeah. And it's it's great. The I, kindness of strangers is real, and I believe in it. It's totally a thing. What's funny is I was having this conversation with someone the other day about the kindness of strangers when you're abroad. Whereas, like, the kindness of strangers when you're home is feels, like, almost non-existent. I mean, sometimes, sure, but not all the time. Do you know, do you get what I'm saying? I know what you mean, and I think that, I, I know what you're saying, and I think it's part of it is because we're not vulnerable. Maybe that's home. what it is, yeah. And it's just, it, it, you know, if, like, you get into some kind of trouble here, you just call your friend. Yeah, I guess or, that's a good point. Or whatever, you catch an Uber home or whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but when you're in the elements and, like, you don't have a choice and it's just, like, Either someone's going to help me or I'm going to sleep outside tonight or whatever. I'm not going to get a ride or I'm not going to get food. It's, it's much more impactful when you're vulnerable. 
Okay. Yeah. I I, that's my, that's yeah, my yeah, yeah, yeah. And I understand that. I guess I just never thought of it that way. Yeah. But it is more, it is more home, more comfort. Yeah. I guess. Okay. Um, so you said you've done four of these bike tours. I have. You did Southeast Asia. Yep. You did Norway and Sweden. Yep. Um, what were the other two? So you did the Portland one? Did the Portland, the Long Beach one on Highway 1. And what was the last one? The last one, I wouldn't really call it a bike tour. Um, my friend Joey and I, we went to, we were in Japan. We went from Tokyo to Mount Hakone. And that's, it's not very far. It's only about 55 miles. Okay. Um, there and then about 55 miles back, 60 miles maybe. All right. And you can do it in a day. Um, so the first day we rode there. And the only thing that's kind of tough about that one is all the really brutal riding is at the very end. Yeah, I feel like I remember you talking about that the other day. Oh, yeah, like, man. The last, like, half mile or something was the most intense. So really, before you get to Hakone, it's like the last five or six miles is where the mountain starts. Mm-hmm. You start going up, and it's like, all right, this is hard. And then um, the last, like, maybe two miles, it gets mega steep. And maybe the last mile is when you're actually in Hakone. just happened where we were staying. just happened to be at the top of this really crazy <laughs> junction okay. where we needed to get to. and. It's just one of those things, you know, like you get to, you know, you, you have these moments in life. You're just like, this is a joke, right? How can this actually be real right now? This can't be happening. You know what I mean? Like we just, we made it this far and you're telling me I've got to march up like this crazy half a mile hill. You know what I mean? It, it's so close, but it feels like we're never going to get there. Oh yeah. But you know, and that's, I would say probably the most valuable thing that I've taken away from bicycle touring is this, it feels impossible because you look at this big picture, like, all right, I'm going to ride my bike from Portland to Long Beach. It's 1,300 miles. It's going to take three weeks or a month or whatever. It feels so impossible. And there are these moments where it feels so impossible. And then it's amazing because you you get halfway through the day. And it's like, all right, 75-mile day. All right, I've got 37 miles to go. And then you got 20 miles, 10, 5. And those last five miles, that last mile or whatever, and you're getting to the state park and you're about to camp and yeah. like get a shower maybe and just whatever it is. I mean, like, I feel like I should have that music from Rocky playing in the back. You know what I mean? That's like, exactly what I was just I thinking. did it! I did it! I told you I could do it. But it feels so impossible when you think of things in this big picture. And that's why, I mean, I'll say this, man. Cycle touring has really kind of broken things down for me. Mm-hmm. To just be like, all right, all I need to do today is get from whatever it is where I am in Southern Oregon to Northern California today. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You take a, a day at a time. Yeah, and I would I would even equate that as far as like work goes. Mm-hmm. When I'm thinking about like a tour as a whole, like a two-month tour, yeah. if, and just all the things that are going to need to happen, it feels so impossible. And when you break it down day by day, it's much easier. Um, so whatever, it sounds cheesy, but just taking things day by day, I think it's really important. And um, I mean, as far, the, one of the most valuable things you can do, I think hiking, cycling, is just listen to yourself. And not force yourself to do something, yeah. and that's that's something I struggle with. I'm bad at it. I'm I'm very bad at it because I have this I like a bug up my ass that I've got to like no today I have to ride sixty miles, you know what I mean or oh, yeah. what, whatever it may be you know what I mean and that's I, I it, it's I think much more indicative of life to just be like whatever there's no agenda today I'm gonna go as far as I feel like going if I get to this point great and if I don't whatever who cares yeah that's. I mean, it's good to look at it that way for sure. Yeah. It's hard to, man. I mean, it's like sometimes I forget why I'm doing something and, you know, and uh, it's not to ride a hundred miles a day. Sometimes I will ride a hundred miles a day. Yeah. That's great. But really the point is to enjoy what I'm doing and being outside and forgetting all this crap that I don't want to think about that I'm trying to get away from and clear my head from. Sure. And then, like, on top of that, I'm like, all right, now I've got to get to this place that who cares? <laughs> For some reason, I care still. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I try not to. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, okay, so now I just want to kind of touch on some of the other places you've been, some of the other things you've done. Sure. Um, so I know you've been to Chernobyl. Yes. Uh, what else did you do in the Ukraine? That was it. I really specifically went to go do that. And that would. how long were you there? I was in Kiev for like two or three days total. That's it. That was it, man. So it was, it was quick. I really went. I mean, I, I just, this was last year. And I was very, very busy last year with work. And um, I had like two or three days between whatever we were doing in America 
and then whatever we were doing in London. Sure. And instead of going to London, I just went to, to Kiev for a few days. Okay. And specifically to go do this tour of Chernobyl. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you said you did a, like a group trip, right? I did a group trip and there's a, there's, there's to my knowledge, two ways to do it, maybe more, but as far as I know, there's two different types of tours. I did the one that is basically, they shove you into a sprinter van with like 15 other people or whatever. And, um, it's like, I think it was $150 okay. and, um, it's really like a four to five hour tour there. And it kind of feels like you're on a Disney world ride, which is lame. Yeah. But, um, I, I also get it. And, uh, the other, the other option of doing it is much more expensive. You can do a private tour and I want to say, and I think we talked about this. I couldn't remember. I remember the price of $500 sticking out of my head. Yeah. I feel like that's what you had told me too. And I, what we had, we were talking about, I can't remember if that was per person or for a group or whatever, Yeah. but, um, I would, I would go back and do it again. And as I told you, I would go back next time and do a private tour. For a variety of reasons, um, a I just I didn't feel like I hardly saw anything when I was there. Yeah. They take you to all the really big things, mm-hmm. like all the famous photos you know of, of Chernobyl, yeah. of the amusement park, and things like that. Yeah. They show you all those things, and they show you the reactor number four. Um, but really, it's just like, all right, photo, get in the van, no. drive, photo, get in the. You know what I mean? Yeah, I've that's done, not I've, for me. I've done things like that. Yeah, and. It, unfortunately, it's just because that's the way it is, and mm-hmm. it's a heavily controlled area. Yeah, that was not uh, you know a disaster. And if you want to go, this is how you can go, and this is what you're gonna do. So as far as that goes, you know, and it's not like no one's been there. I think they said something like thirty thousand people have visited Chernobyl now oh, since Lord. they opened it back up in 2012. Okay. So it's I mean it's it's a full blown tourist ad- destination now. Sure. And. Um, the, what I've heard is, I don't know if this is true, but on the private tours, apparently they just kind of let you meander, have a little bit more. Yeah, you can kind of do more of whatever you want to do. Okay. So, I mean, it, it's interesting because the reactors are still active. Even reactor number, uh, the, the adjacent reactor to it, I think it's reactor number three. It's right next to it. It's still active. So there's people at the power plant working there and they're working on this encasement. But there's also all these government officials there's thousands of people that live there that, that, that live there now. And um, you see a lot of government people that they're stationed there and they have a variety of jobs. Some people commute in and out every day, uh, but there's, there's people and it definitely feels very, you know, Soviet era there still. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's stuck in time. You're stuck in time there. I kind of enjoy the stuck in time. Oh, it's cool. Yeah. It's super cool. Um, but yeah, if, if I went back, man, I mean, I want to climb on shit. I want to touch things. You kind of want to dig through stuff. Yeah. I mean, you want to stir up nuclear waste. And it's interesting because they, you can rent the Geiger counters when you're there and, um, you know, you, there, there'll be like a tree five feet away or whatever, and there'll be a radioactive sign. And there are other people, you know, they'd walk over there and it would spike their Geiger, their Geiger counters would spike as soon as they walked over there. And I don't know what it is about that particular tree. So it is definitely, there is this element of danger and, you know, that you could be poisoning yourself by sure. being there. But I don't know. I think just use your head and don't do anything too stupid. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you always got to kind of be smart yeah. about things. Yeah. Awesome. But it, it is, I would say, like one of the most unique places I've ever been. And I would recommend to anyone that's into that kind of stuff. Um, it is extremely unique and well worth a visit. All right. Yeah. I like that. Really amazing. Um, did I see that you went to India? I went to India, yeah. Did you do that? Was that work-related? No, that was a solo mission, man. How long were you there? I was there for a month. What did you think of it? Lots of things. So many things. Yeah, lots of things. Um, when I went, I would, I think I was there for about five weeks. Yeah. And I did Calcutta to Rajasthan, just across kind of the top. Okay, the yeah. Yeah, and cool. I left. I left hating it oh yeah but like the say i got yeah. off i got off the plane in istanbul when am i going back <laughs> and that was exactly the same thought i had was like couldn't agree with you i have to go back and i haven't it's been it's been five years and i just i kind of been thinking about going back uh yeah you should where did you go i started in new delhi and uh then i made my way south and i ended in mumbai four weeks later okay but i went uh, New Delhi to Jaipur to Udaipur 
to Mangalore, to Bang, to, to Sochi down south. And then I started making my way across to Uti. I think it was Uti. Um, man, I kind of forget. I went to like all these like hill stations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's, and for anyone that has not been to India, a hill station is just a town in the mountain. For whatever they call it, I don't know why they call it a hill station. I, I think hill station is uh, like a, a British India thing. Is it? I think, okay. I think it came from the Brits. Okay. I could be wrong because I remember them talking about something while I was in dark jeerling about that, where it was like, this was a place that the Brits would escape the heat. Sure. So, I mean, it could be, yeah. But it is just a town in the mountains, basically. More or less, yes. Yeah. It was, or like a vacate, like a... Sure, a sure. Get, get, get me away from the goddamn heat. Goddamn. I, I would say, my from my experience, that was the stuff that was the best, going to places like Udi, which is, there's a lot of um, tea plantations there. Yeah. Very beautiful, very nice smaller places there's not not here's the one thing that was really hard for me in india and i think you'll probably agree is i I was like all right you know whatever new delhi mega polluted disgusting massive poverty is crazy you know children bathing on the side of the road in puddles Mm -hmm. horrible horrible shit my thinking was once i get to smaller places in india it wouldn't be like that and it was it wasn't to quite that degree, of course, but the pollution never stops. No, there's no there's no break from it anywhere you go. But and I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that because I haven't been to like everywhere in India. Anywhere that I went in India, there was no break from the poverty and the pollution and the filth and the smells and the humid. It's just like it is the biggest toilet in the world. The way that I always described it was that it was a brutal assault on all of your senses. It is, and I once, said the same thing, man. At once, like, I can't, like, when people ask, I am all for go to India. Yes. 100%. But I immediately followed up with, it's intense. Like, there's no way around it. You know, you, you see things you never think of. You're not going to India to go on vacation. No, it's, you're going to India to experience, like, I mean, it might be different. It might be different if you do yoga retreats or like. Totally. You go to the, you go to the mountains, like, like the Himalayas and stuff. But uh, the way that I went, it was the closest it didn't feel like India to me, I think was in Udapur. Yeah, I agree. Right, that's the one with the palace in the on, in the lake. Correct. Yeah, and that's the only. That was one of the only places that it didn't feel like India. I'm with you. It's kind of crazy. It it's it almost felt like I feel like it was more French influence there. Well, they call it the Venice of the East. I remember that. And I remember the the pride and joy of Udaipur, of course, is that they filmed Octopussy, which is streaming at every bar every night of yeah. every year for the rest of time. I'm forever. sure forever. Forever. Yeah. And I remember there are places, I remember something unique about Udaipur was you can find um, bang lassies there, which are weed lassies. Oh, I see. And I remember in, I think it was in Varanasi and I, we could find those. Probably there as well. Cause I feel like that's more like um, a more of a, like a spiritual destination. Mm-hmm. So I could see that being the case as well. Mm-hmm. But I, I remember Udaipur is cool, man. And I remember a lot of just like really tight, small streets. And, um, here, you know what, actually one thing that really, um, I left with that really struck me happened in Udaipur and I was, I spent probably like a week there. I, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. I, I really liked it. I spent, I think I spent three days there. I was also deathly ill for like two weeks of my trip, but I kept on trucking. Dude, here's what I remember about, about being there. When I was there, I'm, um, I did like a one day bike tour. Uh, around Udaipur and uh, they go on these like it, it's just I've got, I forget the guy's name but um, it was one dude who ran the business or whatever and you go and you rent your bike from him and then he takes you to this um this little like palace kind of a, on a on a top of a hill outside the city okay. and then you ride back or whatever and I ended up kind of keeping up with the guy for the next few days and we I think we had dinner a couple times him and this other dude I met who was also on the bike trip and that one day and, um, dude, we were just talking about life in India and Indians and what the struggle is and what they want. And, um, I remember him, we were having a discussion about this and he was saying, if you were to ask, uh, impoverished Indians, what the one 
thing that they don't have is, or one thing that they they would value the most by having, what do you think that would be? And it's a great question. Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. And I think our reaction or like our Western reaction, and honestly, it's like, I think the most logical reaction is to say education, the lack of education, okay. the lack of education and opportunity. And he goes, I'm, I understand why you would say that, but it's totally not true. He's like, if you ask anyone here, the one thing that they need and want and value, it's privacy when they bathe and use the toilet. Wow. Yes. I mean, I get, I get that. Yes. And I want to say like the next day I'm down at that little lake mm-hmm. and I'm just chilling and dude, I, um, I look over and there's this very old woman, probably, I mean, clearly like grandmother or great grandmother, even okay. in her seventies or eighties. And she is naked in public bathing in the lake, this polluted, filthy lake. Yeah. That's insane. Insanity. Incredible. And I, I just think about it in like, how would I feel if that was my mother or my grandmother yeah. or my sister? And then she's, I mean, dude, it's not just like she's bathing in front of people. She's bathing in front of this fucking tattooed, weird Western guy yeah. who's there on vacation, basically. Yeah. How fucked is that? That's pretty fucking weird. Yeah. And um, man, that really, really struck a chord with me and really resonated with me. And, um, you know, anyone who's following along to politics in India and, uh, Navendra Modi is Modi, right? That's his. I think Honestly, I'm not sure. The prime minister right now, I think his name is Navendra Modi or Devendra Modi. I'm embarrassed to say, I, I forget exactly how to pronounce his name. He, um, one of the things that he has been a real soldier for ever since he was elected is he wants everyone to have hygiene and a clean place to use the toilet. And that is huge. I mean, they, they have all kinds of um, health issues in India based on just unhygienic conditions, which actually, sorry to be rambling, but that's all good. Dude, when I first got to India and I was in New Delhi for probably like five days, I did a slum tour okay. of one of the slums there. And before anyone is like jumps on me and is like, I can't believe you do something like that and pay to go see a blah, blah, blah. Um, it is something that benefits the community. It's someone from their community. And it's, it, they very much set it up in a way that they don't want it to be like a ride at Disney World. Yeah. They don't want it to be like you gawking and then like holding up the kid and like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. you get your trophy and like, aren't I so connected to the poor people of India, blah, 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 blah. It's not like that. And you're really encouraged to, at the end of it, here are some ways that you can invest in the community. Anyways, so this particular slum I went to in New Delhi, it was 40,000 people okay. living in an area of nine acres by nine acres so what is that i mean that's like man that's probably like a half a mile by half a mile square yeah and about forty thousand people and it's not like it's a, a skyscraper no it's it's a, it's a it's a city block essentially yeah and it's just twisty and turning and there are all of the they there's electricity running through the through the slum and all of the electrical cables run on the ground through the puddles of shit yeah. that you have to walk through. And um, there is one, I think they said there was like one or two communal toilets for all 40,000 people in that, the slum. That's absurd. And I'm talking like it's, I mean, it's 40,000 people, great-grandmother, grandmother, mother, daughter, baby, yeah, everything. You know, I mean, like we're talking about like 15 people living in, a tiny little shack mm-hmm. that maybe has electricity. And it was interesting because like they would have television, but they wouldn't have a toilet. They would have a cell phone, but they wouldn't have running water. Yeah. Which is crazy. And it's crazy to think that we are at a point now where it's people can have this entertainment and they can stay connected like that, but they can't have the most basic standard of living. Yeah. And it was, I mean, it's crazy, but that was, that was a very impactful thing that I did was going and seeing that. And um, I mean, as you can imagine, there's tons of talent and people that are highly intelligent that mm-hmm. are that are from this community that have no opportunity. Yeah. And it's horrible. It's very horrible. It's horrible, man. Um, so yeah, I mean, after he told me, that this guy that I went on this, this one day bike trip with, after he told me that like the most valued thing for people um, who are less fortunate in India and who are impoverished is I just want a clean place to take a dump in the morning and, yeah. and have a shower and not have to go into the field 
and look at the train as it's going by and have people stare at me while I'm taking a shit. Yeah. Man, amen. I'm, I wouldn't have even thought of it, but yeah. I didn't think of it either until he said so. And I felt really embarrassed after he said that. That, you know, my, my Western point is like, well, all you need is education and then you'll be, yeah, you'll be no problem, which is crazy. And but obviously yeah, not he, reality. Yeah. It's so insane. Yeah. Okay. So India is... India's man, India is amazing. It's incredible. It's amazing. And I, I'm really happy what you said that as soon as you were done, you never wanted to go back. Uh, no, I wanted and then, to go. I no, wanted no, no, no. I'm, I'm, oh, yeah. And then you landed because the same thing happened to me. I was like, man, I was leaving Mumbai. I was like... See you never, India. And I, I landed back in America. And I was like, man, you know, it's great. It's going back to India. <laughs> it's great. Had I, like, had I not eaten street food in Varanasi and gotten sick, sure. like, I can pinpoint the sure, meal. Sure. I would have loved it so much more. And I would have probably stayed longer because I was on a six-month trip just kind of on my own. Yeah. And I ended up leaving India earlier than I expected. Oh, you did? Yeah, because, oh, wow. because I had been sick for two weeks that's brutal man and it was it's hard i only got sick there once i was only sick for like 48 hours i got really lucky yeah see and like i i met someone in udapur who i did uh like a desert safari with cool in jaisalmer that sounds right um but she had said she had been sick in mumbai for three weeks i believe it and it's like i can't i believe it no yeah but it's real. It's and way it real. to lots of people. Yeah. Yeah. It's a hard... India is a place to go if you want to put some hair on your chest. That's what I've always <laughs> told people. And it's it's funny because I, I remember actually I was traveling somewhere else once and I, I met this really great girl and she... Um, I was asking her where she started her travels and she's like, I started in India. And this was her first time traveling, I think, period. Yeah. And... Uh, I mean, respect to her. I said, so how was it? And just like the look on her face, she just went, <sighs> India is crazy. And she's like, it's cool that I started there because I remember thinking no matter what I do after this, everything will be easier, which is totally true. Yeah. But it's a really hard place to get your chops. So if you haven't ever traveled or you haven't done any like real backpacking or just kind of finding your own way in the world, don't start in India. Or or jump in the deep end. Or jump in the start, deep end and go for it. And but start. It, it's it's not what I would recommend. No, absolutely not. I wouldn't either. That's not what I would recommend. And I, I, honestly, like when I think of places like to, it, it's good because you don't want to scare yourself into being like I'm never doing this again because this is so hard. You should enjoy what you're doing. And I think, I mean, if you love traveling and you love going to places like India, there's a piece of you. You're the kind of person. You're also probably a little sadistic and you like a little bit of punishment. Yeah. And if it's good to know that before you get there. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that about myself, so it's fine. But I mean, like, I would never recommend, like, my sister goes there. No, I would, or, like, I would never. Certain people, I, just people I know how they like to travel. I'm like, you, you'll never, you would hate it there. Yeah, absolutely. You, you don't have the luxuries that you, for me, the hardest I would say this, for me, the hardest part about being India, besides obviously just like the absolutely heartbreaking poverty mm. that you're constantly surrounded by and that you have very little opportunity to change or help. And maybe that's just a, an excuse. And I, I feel bad saying that, but, and, and now I'm going to feel like a total douche about what I'm about to say, but I'm just going to be real for me as a Western, uh, a Western guy. One of the hardest parts for me was not having the ritual of waking up and having sounds so bad a nice cup of coffee every day sure and that was as far as like a personal challenge not on like an emotional level of seeing all these people that are suffering because again i want to stress that i do recognize that and that is a a huge thing yeah and i value and that by far it's the most important thing that these people should not be struggling on a personal level of just like a western dude traveling yeah and not being able to go and have a nice cup of coffee and start the day off like that that was a difficult thing for me. Sure. And um, and yeah, man. So I, I I guess in that sense, it wasn't that hard for me in that way because I, I love Indian people and I love Indian food and I love Indian culture. Yeah. So all that was really great for me to be like that. So, I mean, once you kind of adapt to that, 
you have to watch where you're stepping so you don't step in human feces mm-hmm. and that it smells like burning all the time everywhere the you time. go it smells like burning trash everywhere you go or pee or shit and um that the air quality is terrible and um yeah once you adapt to that the one thing i was never able to adapt to was not being able to go to a coffee shop that's crazy i know <laughs> because i can like <laughs> it's I mean, crazy it i 100 percent have that same problem yeah but i can adapt in the sense that like I will have a Coca-Cola instead. I mean, I, I obviously I made it or whatever. Yeah, of course. Or, I didn't like or it. Or I'll drink chai. I drank a lot of chai. Oh, sure, I did that too. But it wasn't the same, man. It no, wasn't the same. it never is. But when I got to Mumbai and I found there's, you know, there's a few real coffee shops in Mumbai, including probably the fanciest Starbucks I've ever been to. I got there. Oh, man, that first cup of coffee. I was like, forget it, dude. Forget <laughs> it. And it's just, you know, I, I guess at the same time when I think about, like, things that I miss when I'm traveling. Yeah. You know, I, this this is one of my favorite questions to ask people. Like, what's something that, what's something that you really miss from home? And Germans always tell me the same thing. The German response, I don't know if you've ever asked a German this, they always say they miss the bread. Oh, that, yeah, okay. And in all fairness, like, German bread is not like any other bread you get anywhere else in the world. Yeah. Really thick, dense, heavy, crazy bread. Like, oh, man, I just want some, like, crazy brown bread right now. Things like that. Yeah. Norwegians, they miss the brown cheese. Things like that. Yeah. It's just like you can't find that anywhere else in the world. No. For me, it's the coffee. I can deal with everything else, man. But for me, coffee is such like a ritual. It's that getting going in the morning. Sure. It's that part of the day that is for me. And I feel different after it happens. Yeah, absolutely. Anyways. And I mean, but that being said, like going to places like... Turkey and Morocco, where sure. co- coffee is like crude oil, and it yes, it yeah, oh, it's heaven then. Yeah, but yeah, India, it's. I mean, it exists. It exists. The same. It exists, man. The, the closest thing you're gonna find in the country is Cafe Coffee Day, and uh, yeah, once, once I I I hit a point like halfway through, and I was there for a couple of weeks, I was so happy to see a Cafe Coffee. The coffee's terrible. But I was like, oh, thank God. At least I can get like a half, you know, I make a half terrible cup of coffee here. Yeah. Anyway, I feel like a wiener talking about this. He's a wiener. Yeah, he really I, feel, is. I know I'm a terrible person. I know. All right, Dan. Um, so I want to wrap this up. Uh, do you have any words of advice for travelers or anything you want to leave people with? Just go. Just go. If you have it's one in doubt, go. Yeah. And uh, the most valuable thing I think I've probably ever spent money on in my life is traveling and even the places where it didn't always work out great or I didn't maybe something bad happened to me because bad things do happen occasionally yeah and even then I was never like man I wish I hadn't gone or I wish I hadn't spent money on doing this or whatever it is you know and the most valuable lessons that I think I've ever learned have been from traveling and meeting people and you don't really, you'll never under, I mean, you'll never understand people even after you've gone somewhere maybe 30 times, but yeah. it really helps you understand who people are, who a culture is. And, um, that, I mean, it's going to sound really cliche and cheesy, but we're not all so different after all. We and really aren't. We aren't. And all these people that are made out to be the enemy by our government are not our enemies. Um, I've never been, I've never been to Iran, but Everyone, everyone I've ever met that's been to Iran has said they are the Iranians are the most warm, welcoming, kindest people they've ever met in their lives. I've met a handful of older travelers, like being in Thailand and stuff, who said the same about Afghanis. Yes. And that's that's a place that I, people look at me like I'm insane for saying I want to go, but I would love to go to Afghanistan. It's it's important to go if you if if you if you have an idea about a place in your head. It's important to go there if you've ever wondered, and that, that that's my advice. Just go, just travel, and keep an open mind, and be kind to people, and uh, yeah, when in doubt, go. Awesome. Um, and do you have any travel plans other than work? Obviously. Sadly, no. That yeah, is so sad. <laughs> uh, sadly, no. You know, I've I've been fortunate this year. We've had a little bit of time off, so like been piggybacking some of the trips that we've done for work. Sure. Um, we just had a few days in Madrid. I had a few days in Porto, Portugal a couple weeks ago. That was nice. Um, no, you know what, man? I think you, 
I'm probably similar to you like this. It's like to really, for me to really go somewhere and like feel like I'm there and I'm doing it, I need like weeks, so- weeks or months. Yeah. And that's a time is a luxury I don't have right now. Absolutely. That's, okay. that's fine. Um, but yeah, you know, there's all kinds of, I'd say Iceland is high. It's great. Uh, up there. Yep. I heard it's amazing. Uh, more of Eastern Europe, more of Africa, more of Asia. Yeah, I would I would like to do more of Africa. I've only done Morocco and South and mm-hmm. South Africa, so I would like to see more of that for sure. And uh, yeah, man, that's where I'm at. Awesome. Well, thanks for being on the thanks, show, dude. Yeah, thanks for having me. I hope you guys enjoyed Dan Lipsky, and uh, yeah, thanks again. Peace. And that was Dan Lipsky. Um, there is a GoFundMe for Dan if you feel so inclined to donate to a very good cause to help a man on the road to recovery. Um, it's GoFundMe.com backslash Dan hyphen Lipsky, L-I-P-S-K-I hyphen fund. Anyway, thank you for listening and get lost.